0: Welcome, you're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is January the 30, 2024. It's been 10 years and 3 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and 1 year and 340 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened on Monday and Tuesday morning. During the podcast, you will find the Russia Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. There are map updates today, and a link is in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with a daily assessment, which has been updated. 1. We assess unseasonably warm weather forecasted for later in the week will impact tractability for both combatants as the saturated surface soil thaws. 2. Unless the United States Senate creates a standalone Ukraine aid bill, additional U.S. military and financial assistance to Ukraine in 2024 is extremely unlikely. 3. The actions of Congress are damaging the U.S. global standing as a trusted ally of democratic states and have partially contributed to increased kinetic and hybrid warfare activity executed by Russia and its so called axis of resistance of Belarus, North Korea, Iran, and their proxies. 4. The armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages, particularly air defense missiles and artillery rounds, that are directly impacting the ability to continue active defense operations along the entire line of conflict. 5. We assess that Ukraine's decision to build a 1,000 km long static echelon defense is strategically sound. 6. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasiv Yar west of Bakhmut. 7. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the FDF Kasselian regardless of the cost. 8. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue through meteorological winter, which ends on February the 29th. 9. We maintain that Russia's ongoing political purge is accelerating, and the Putin regime is accelerating its transition into a fascist state and further assess that in the medium and long term this shift will endanger global security and stability. 10. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. We begin in Kharkiv Oblast, in the Kupinsk area of operation, or AO. Mutual fighting continued in the area of Sinkivka, with no change in the situation. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Pishana from Krochmalne, without success. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armud, claimed that the village of Tabayevka was captured, without evidence. Multiple sources denied the claim, and the only proof offered was an AI-generated painting released by Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar, shared by other mill bloggers, including two majors. No, I'm not kidding, and the virtual painting is in the Daily Situation report. Information on how to become a patron and gain access to our reports is in the podcast description. While this piece of non-evidence is amusing, in our assessment, Ukrainian forces have not stabilized their defensive lines. In the Kreminnaio of Luhansk Oblast, Russian forces continue to attempt to advance on Terny and Yampolivka without success. Russian mercenary millblogger Vorgonzo claimed a Russian offensive in the direction of Torske was also unsuccessful. Southwest of Krimina, Armod made its traditional report of fighting in the area of Dubrova. And the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Russian troops and aerospace forces attacked defensive positions in the Serebransky woods with no change in the situation. In the War Gonza reported a Russian attack southeast of Bilohorivka, that's the one in Luhansk Oblast, ended in failure. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. In northeastern Donetsk Oblast in the Siverskayo, armed claimed Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Bilohoryivka. For the west, the Kremlin also reported fighting in the area of Pereizne, which in our assessment is impossible. Russian sources have made no claims of capturing Rozdolivka or Fedorivka or taking control of the bridge on the western edge of Vansetya. In the area, a geolocated Russian video showing Ukrainian positions being shelled in Bogdanovka confirmed that the line of conflict is further north than previously assessed. Based on the new information and terrain analysis, the map was adjusted. Southwest of Bakhmut, fighting continued in the area of Ivanovské, with no change in the situation. In southwestern Donetsk, Russian forces maintained their attacks in the area, mostly comprised of light infantry. On the northern flank, fighting continued southeast of Novobakhmutivka and east of Stepove, with no change in the situation. On the southern flank, Russian forces continued to try to consolidate their gains south of Soborna Street on the southern edge of Avdivka. Significant fighting continued at the Tsarsko-Ochota resort, with both combatants trading control. To the southwest, Russian troops continued their attempts to advance from the eastern edge of Pervomaiske and east of Nevelske without success. In the Marienka AO, Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Georgievka and from the southern edge of Marienka in the direction of Pobeda, with no change in the situation. In the Vugledar AO, Russian forces continued to attack Novomihailivka from the northeast, east and south without success. In the Staromlynivka area, Russian troops attempted to advance in the direction of Zolotaniva from Novodonetske, suffered losses and retreated to their defensive positions. Russian forces also attacked west of Старомайорске and northeast of Pryudne, making marginal gains north of the later. In occupied Yasenovata, the Ministry of Internal Affairs building was shelled, destroying four vehicles and damaging the building. Occupation officials claimed there were no casualties. Our analyst team investigated Russian claims of a Grad rocket attack in occupied Donetsk. Russian officials claim a rocket attack on the Kalininsky district killed three people. The blast was on Ilichah Avenue, west of the Druzhba Arena, in the front parking lot of the Mallen Mall. Russian state media and local channels shared numerous pictures and videos, including one that captured the moment of the explosion. The closest viable firing point under Ukrainian control is 21 kilometers away, which rules out D-20 and D-30 howitzers and all motor systems. Videos and pictures show that a single car exploded in the parking lot, with damage more consistent with a car bomb than a rocket or artillery round strike. An in-depth analysis of the security camera video shared by Russian state media agencies with Danews shows a person walking away from the camera carrying a bag in their left hand and then being at the epicenter of the blast. The car is tossed approximately 6 to 8 meters. Our team created a video based on the evidence provided by Russian sources that shows the events. All of the pictures, videos and evidence are linked in our situation report. None of the pictures shared by Russian state media or local sources showed the booster section of a Grad rocket, and there was very little shrapnel damage to adjacent cars and buildings. Pictures published by Russian officials on April 28, 2023, after an alleged Grad rocket attack struck parked cars and a minibus, highlight how the damage in today's explosion is more consistent with a car bomb. It is important to note we cannot assess with certainty that this was an assassination, an assassination attempt, or a terror attack, nor can we say with full confidence who was responsible. That would require an on-site investigation conducted by experts. We shared our findings and video with analysts beyond our team, and they agreed that the damage was consistent with a car bomb. As for the person in the video, they were either the bomber, the target, or incredibly unlucky to have a Grad rocket land on them the moment a vehicle-borne IED went off. In the region, fighting continued in Krynky and the forests to the south, with the Ukrainian forces repelling seven attacks. Most Russian bloggers have ended coverage of the situation on the left banks of the Dnipro and Konka rivers, suggesting the Kremlin is enforcing earlier media guidelines not to discuss the situation. Here is the update for the Russian front. In the Belgrade region, two more Fab-250 UMPK glide bombs fell off Russian aircraft. On January 27, both bombs landed near Valuiki in separate incidents, but failed to detonate. The one that landed closer to the settlement forced 150 people to evacuate while Explosive Ordnance Disposal experts removed the bomb. This is the sixth glide boom to fall off a Russian plane flying over Belgorod since the start of the year. Up to four drones reportedly attacked the Slavneft-Yanus oil refinery in the Yaroslavl region, 900 kilometers from Ukraine. One drone crashed on the refinery grounds without exploding. In the Kaluga region, Russian state media claimed a Ukrainian drone was shot down near the JSC Kaluga Product oil depot. Russian state media agency Kommersant reported that cellular Internet service was being disabled during the evening hours in the Leningrad, Novgorod and Pskov regions to thwart Ukrainian drone attacks. The outages are impacting payment services, ride-sharing, taxi and delivery apps and ATMs. Everything is going to plan. Here is my theater-wide update. No, the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Colonel-General Valery Zaluzhny, did not resign, and he was not relieved of duty. Also, Minister of Defense of Ukraine Rustem Umerov was not dismissed and did not submit his resignation. In our assessment, a Russian disinformation campaign snagged some Ukrainian officials, bloggers, and the Western press. Let's talk about drones. On January 28th and 29th, Ukrainian air defenses intercepted eight out of eight Shahed 136 one-way drones launched at Ukraine. But on January 29th and 30th, only 15 of 35 Iranian sourced Shehads were shot down. Hits by drones or debris were reported in the Kyiv, Cherkasy, Kharkiv, and Kherson oblasts. The Ukrainian Air Force reported that fuel and energy infrastructure, civilian facilities, military-industrial production, and frontline areas were targeted. At the time of recording, our analyst team had not completed its damage assessment. Early in the day, the spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force, colonel Yuri Ignat, said that studying captured and damaged Shahid-136s provides new information to Kyiv and its allies. He noted that the design has evolved to improve performance and accuracy, and the inspection of debris confirms that loopholes in sanctions are allowing Western technology to support the continued manufacturing of Shaheads. The National Police of Ukraine released several pictures showing Shahed 136 drones that had landed intact, including one that skidded to a stop after a soft landing. In our assessment, these recent photos support Ukrainian claims that new electronic warfare systems have been developed that deflect and disable drones. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Dmitro Kuleba, met with his Hungarian counterpart Petr Sijarto in Užhorod, Ukraine. The meeting was meant to improve strained relations and lay the groundwork for a meeting between Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and President Zelensky. The Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of the United Kingdom reported that while Russia is losing an estimated 100 tanks per month, military-industrial production can build an equal number of replacements. The report added that without additional support, Ukraine won't be able to maintain and sustain its existing armor provided by its allies. It was not clarified if the new Russian production numbers were based on the refurbishment of existing tanks and storage or the construction of new hulls. But in our assessment, it is highly unlikely Russia is building 100 new hulls a month. In an interview with the German news agency ARD, President Zelensky warned that European security was threatened. Quote, I believe that we are in a critical moment. It is still possible, both geopolitically and financially, to stop Russia from waging this war. We can prevent the destruction of Ukraine, the destruction of our nation. We can avoid a global exodus. We can prevent World War III and, God forbid, there is a delay in supporting Ukraine. It will have an impact on a united Europe. And there are consistent problems here. The first is the storage of weapons and finance in Ukraine. Second. I think that the alliance between the US and Europe will be lost. Thirdly, Europe will understand that this is a signal that if Ukraine fails and Putin moves forward, Europe will be left alone among NATO countries to confront Russia. This will be a serious threat. Putin will take advantage of this 100%. European Union members agreed unanimously to allocate billions of euros from the profits earned by Russian central bank assets frozen in European banks. We had previously assessed that it could top 8 billion euros based on the number of frozen assets and assuming earnings of 4%. Experts estimate the funds will be around 3 billion euros, less than half of our estimate. Ukraine and Belgium signed a memorandum to produce unspecified weapons jointly support the Organization of Repairs, and train specialists and technicians. The Prime Minister of Luxembourg, Luc Frieden, announced that his nation was joining the F-16 coalition. Details of what role Luxembourg will play were not announced. The Netherlands announced it was allocating 87 million euros to buy artillery rounds for Ukraine and was transferring another 25 million euros to the International Fund for Ukraine. The CEO of German arms manufacturer Ryan Metal announced that the company would build a new ammunition plant in a matter of months to, quote, create strategic security for both the Bundeswehr and Ukraine, unquote. The factory is expected to start operating within three months. In the spring of 2022, when Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine, the Finnish defense forces quietly received extra funding to increase the stockpile of weapons, ammunition and other supplies. The country will increase domestic ammunition production firefold by the end of 2024 and has shifted to a partial wartime economy. Three inspectors from the U.S. Department of Defense, State Department and U.S. aid arrived in Kyiv to audit and provide additional oversight to U.S. financial aid sent to Ukraine. I'm not exactly sure what's left to audit, but welcome to Ukraine! There was no reported progress in the U.S. Congress on immigration reform, border security or military aid for Ukraine. What's going on in the land of Mobiks, mobilization and MIR? Here is the non-combat update for Russia. The State Duma is moving forward with legislation that would transfer veterans' benefits from a deceased soldier to their spouse a year after being declared dead, with conditions. The dead must have combat veteran status, and their spouse can't remarry for one year. The change would not apply to volunteers, foreign fighters or penal soldiers in Storm Z or V units. Putin's political purge continues. The criminal case against activist Yaroslav Shyrshakov started in the Central District Military Court. He is charged under the so-called Don't Say War laws for the justification of terrorism. Shirshikov is a friend of American citizen and Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who was arrested after being accused of espionage. Shortly after Gershkovich's arrest, Shirshikov became the target of multiple investigations. In the Rostov region, a court sentenced 72-year-old Evgenia Mayboroda to five and a half years in prison for distributing fake news about the Russian Federation armed forces. Mayboroda didn't deny she made the posts on the social media platform VK, a Russian Facebook clone, telling the court that her brother, who lives in Pro Ukraine, was in his house when a Russian missile destroyed it. Political prisoner Vladimir Karamurza, who was sentenced to 25 years in a strict regime colony for high treason in 2018, is missing. Letters sent by his family to Omsk penal colony IK6 were returned, and his lawyers reported they do not know where he is. The naked party is the gift that keeps on giving. Rapper Nikolai Vasilyev will be joining the Russian military as a conscript in the spring. Vasilyev reportedly wants to join the airborne assault forces and rejected the opportunity to join a military band. Theoretically, as a conscript, Vasiliev will not be sent to frontline duty in Ukraine. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all.